Good morning and welcome to Inside Redeemer with Jerry Wellbanks. Today is Palm Sunday, March 24, 2013. Our Sunday worship services is being broadcast from Inside Redeemer Lutheran Church, located at 5700 Lawndale Street in Houston, Texas. The Reverend Grant House Wright will deliver the Holy Gospel for today, and Lector Sandy Weesey will read today's scripture readings. The music is provided by Choir Director Nancy Housewright and the Redeemer Lutheran Choir. Our Sunday worship services begin at 10.30 a.m. On our Sunday morning broadcast, we always like to acknowledge our Redeemer family shut-ins and give a big old shout-out to let you all know that we're thinking about you and we have you in our hearts and in our minds. Our love goes out to each and every one of you. Mary Margaret Rerick, Ruvella Eckelman, Edith Owens, Frank and Laura Thack, Marie Percy, Phyllis Edelman, Wanda Harris, Robert Lindbergh. We love you all and God bless you all. Good morning. Glad to see everyone today. I'm so glad everyone's here to begin our Holy Week together. This great, wonderful journey of Holy Week. That's not a wonderful journey. It's the worst week of Jesus' life. And so we start this uh, time together. You have your bulletins. Everything that we need in our processional part of our service is in front of us. We are at the uh, middle of page 3. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The processional gospel for today is from the gospel according to St. Luke in the 19th chapter. Jesus and his followers went on toward Jerusalem. As Jesus came near Bethphage and Bethany, toward near the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent out two of his followers. And he said, go to the town you can see there. And when you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here to me. If anyone asks you why you are untying it, say that the master needs it. The two followers went into town and found the colt, just as Jesus had told them. As they were untying it, its owners came out and asked the followers, why are you untying our colt? The followers answered, The master needs it. So they brought it to Jesus, threw their coats on the colt's back, and put Jesus on it. As Jesus rode toward Jerusalem, others spread their coats on the road before them. As he was coming close to Jerusalem, on the way down the Mount of Olives, a whole crowd of followers began joyfully shouting praise to God for all the miracles they had seen. They said... God bless the King who comes in the name of the Lord. There is peace in heaven and glory to God. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell your followers not to say these things. But Jesus answered, I tell you, if my followers didn't say these things, then the stones would cry out. And here ends the processional gospel. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Open to me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them, and give thanks to the Lord. I thank thee that thou hast answered me, and hast become my salvation. 
This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. Bless these branches, O God, as we prepare again to recognize and worship your Son, our Lord, who gave himself for us to die and rise for the good of your kingdom. May our journey be one of trust and faith and courage held close all the while through your Holy Spirit. At the top of page five, the Lord be with you. Let's all pray together the prayer of the day. O God of mercy and might, in the mystery of the passion of your Son, you offer your infinite life to the world. Gather us around the cross of Christ and preserve us until the resurrection through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. You may be seated, and the children are excused for Sunday school as we thank Sandy for reading the lessons for today. Good morning. Our first reading comes from the prophetical book of Isaiah, chapter 50. The Lord God hath given me the tongue of a teacher, that I may know how to sustain the weary with a word. Morning by morning he wakens wakens my ear to listen as those who are taught. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. I did not turn backward. I gave my back to those who struck me, and my cheeks to those who pulled out the beard. I did not hide my face from insult and spitting. The Lord God helps me, therefore I have not been disgraced. Therefore I have set my face like flint. And I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who are my adversaries? Let them confront me. It is the Lord God who helps me, who will declare me guilty. Our second reading is taken from the book of Philippians chapter 2. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. Therefore God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Here ends our second reading. Due to the length of the uh, gospel for this day, uh, please, you may be seated. The Holy Gospel for this day is written in the gospel according to St. Luke in the 23rd chapter. Then the whole assembly rose 
and led him off to Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We have found this man subverting our nation. He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar and claims to be Messiah, a king. So Pilate asked Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. Then Pilate announced to the chief priests and the crowd, I find no basis for a charge against this man. But they insisted. He stirs up the people all over Judea by his teaching. He started in Galilee and has come all the way here. On hearing this, Pilate asked if the man was a Galilean. And when he learned that Jesus was under, uh, that Jesus was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased because for a long time he had been wanting to see him. From what he had heard about him, he hoped to see him perform a sign of some sort. He plied him with many questions, but Jesus gave him no answer. The chief priests and the teachers of the law were standing there, vehemently accusing him. And then Herod and his soldiers ridiculed and mocked him. Dressing him in an elegant robe, they sent him back to Pilate. And that day... Herod and Pilate became friends. Before this, they had been enemies. Pilate called together the chief priests and the rulers of the people and said to them, You brought me this man as one who was inciting the people to rebellion. I have examined him in your presence and have found no basis for your charges against him. Neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us. As you can see, he has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I will punish him and then release him. But the whole crowd shouted, Away with this man! Release Barabbas! Release Barabbas to us! Barabbas had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder. Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again. But they kept shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! For the third time, he spoke to them, Why? What crime has this man committed? I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I will have him punished and then release him. But with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified. And their shouts prevailed. So Pilate decided to grant their demand. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder the one they asked for, and surrendered Jesus to their will. Now as the soldiers led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way from the country, and put the cross on him, and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who had mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves. Weep for your children. For the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the childless women, the wombs that never bore, and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, Cover us. For if people do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. 
And when they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes and casting, and by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine, vinegar, and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, for the sun stopped shining. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out in a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. And all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place. They beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. The Gospel of the Lord.
Again, I'd like to welcome everyone here and remind everyone as we begin this week, the worst week in the life of Jesus, we want to remember our schedule, which uh, has been uh, printed for folks to see uh, long before today, but just make sure you remember we will worship on Wednesday noon and Thursday evening and Friday noon with an Easter egg hunt on Saturday at 11 and... uh, and worship, Easter breakfast Sunday morning, and resurrection worship and communion also on Sunday morning. And all the details are printed there for you. I want to make sure you remember this week that we will be uh, journeying together. It's not an easy week for some people also, for the Friedman family, because uh, Maggie's mom passed away last night about 11.30, and her name was Mrs. Ellis, Eileen Ellis. She was 90. Did you say, Rudy? 93. So remember, uh, she's there. Uh, Maggie is there with her brother and her sister. They were able to be there. So uh, we remember the Freedomans in our prayers and remember those who love their grandmas too. Newsletters are ready. And we thank uh, there in your box. And uh, Olga and Ruth, thank you very much. Young and Heart this week also. There's a different schedule because of Lent. So please remember that. And um, <laughs> Joan Olson has been moved to uh, on uh, I can't remember, bridge crossing or something like yeah bridge crossing it's where Baywood and it's uh, down on um, Space Center Boulevard and it's the same address as Phyllis Edelman's address so that's where Mrs Olson is now Mrs Olson has gotten a little bit better. So we want to uh, thank God for the resurrection of Mrs. Ellis and getting better for uh, Joan Olson. I think that takes care of that. They don't have any announcements except for the fact that Patricia Maxwell turned 38 today and uh, she wanted to make sure I remembered her how young she was. (laughs) Happy birthday. Let's uh, continue our time today with a few moments for silence. Luke 23:34 reads, "Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing." Grace and peace be to you from God and the Lord Jesus Christ, and may the Holy Spirit join us, take us by the hand and lead us on this holy week journey together. Amen. There was a Sunday school class, and the teacher wanted to make sure the children understood what crucifixion meant, especially the crucifixion, of course, of Jesus Christ. And as they were going through the event and learning the events of that time, uh, as that time progressed, she said, do you understand? And all the children in the Sunday school class nodded their heads. But she wanted to make sure that they really understood, instead of just nodding their heads, do you really understand the meaning of the cross for you? The meaning of the cross for me? And one child said, ma'am, why are you trying to make this so hard? It just means that God will do almost anything for us. The great answer? A beautiful answer. God will do just about anything for you and for me. Even sending his son to die for us. It'd be really, really hard to uh, 
come up with a better interpretation of the crucifixion. Good as it is, however, we do want to go a little bit further than that, and we need to complete all this by saying God pays the highest price ever in order for you and I to be set free. This price, and it's not a price which you can calculate, of course, is paid in order that you and I will be free to be the persons that God has created us to be. In order that we will be free also to experience the fullness that God has injected in us at creation, the fullness of life. In order also to be free of terrible bondage in which so many of us are living every single day of our lives. And for most of us and for so many folks, the hard thing are the chains that bind us. You know, our unwillingness to forgive and sometimes our rejection of those who want to forgive us. So in today's Gospel lesson, Luke's account of the Lord's passion and death, we read, When they reached the place called the skull, they crucified him, and Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. The cross of Christ becomes for us an ultimate sign. An ultimate sign of the great news, the good news of God's love for us. It also becomes another ultimate sign. A sign of God's faithfulness to us. That God kept his promises to us. That God practices fidelity all the time. And it's also an ultimate assurance that God will never walk away from us. That God will never abandon us. And that's just the way it is ever and ever. If anyone ever had any reason to be bitter and forgiving, it was Jesus. He truly had a reason in that last week of his life. In the Garden of Gethsemane, we read and we have read these lines and read the Bible and, see, and heard the scripture and learned of it from some of us from, from as far back as we can possibly remember. Jesus agonizing in the garden over his death coming up. But he was also struggling with the temptation to be bitter. The temptation to be unforgiving. And the terrible estrangement from God that goes along with that. So it calls us today, I believe, to think for a moment. The jubilant, the wonderful, the praiseworthy morning of Palm Sunday. The crowd praising God and laying palm branches and garments in front of of the feet of Jesus and his mount. And that same crowd turning into a lynch mob as the day, as the week uh, progresses. And now here in the gospel is a sign that not one single person, we don't read in this gospel, that there is a sign of one single person standing up and supporting him verbally. Not one single person in the crowd the religious leaders administered one cheap shot after another all week long. They came to him with difficult theological questions, not because they were looking for any answers, but for they were looking for, for, for him to trip himself up or something that they could use so that they could get him. They could use against him. And before the week was over, 
Peter falls asleep at the Garden of Gethsemane. He was asked to stay awake for a little bit. Judas the Twelve couldn't hurt anybody worse than doing what he, Judas one of the Twelve, I mean, couldn't do any worse than betraying him. And then Peter saying, I never knew the guy, ma'am, I never knew the guy. Three times he said that. And the Roman officials who had quarrels with him, punching him and stabbing him, planning to execute him along that painful way. They had all turned against him. So, consequently, it's not hard to see that the agony of the Garden of Gethsemane included the struggle not to be bitter. At this point, we need to remind ourselves, I do believe, that one of the basic themes in the teaching of Jesus is, over and over and over again, Jesus introduces us to God in this second half of the book of Luke, telling us that God is already, continually every day, ready there to forgive our trespasses and reminding us to forgive, and not only forgive us our trespasses, but to forgive those who trespass against us. The experience of a lifetime to forgive and to reflect the love of God as that being the source of our wholeness of life, filled up with everything good in the midst of our humanity. But he also warns us over and over again that this forgiving love becomes real to us only when we have the ability and the desire to truly forgive others. Jesus hits this theme really hard, time and time again. And I understand all this. I'm human like you. Finally, all the way to the cross. Forgiving and forgetting and being forgiven. He gives us a superlative example of what he's talking about. First, his estrangement from God. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And then the final expression, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Easy words for me to stand up here and say. And we'll see about those words as we leave this place today, as we live our lives. So there's John and George. Both John and George are in their 70s. They have known each other since grade school, grown up together in the same area their entire lives. They held opposite opinions on almost everything. Stubborn on both sides. Consequently, they argued, and they argued frequently as a result as a result of this stubbornness. And sometimes they would go weeks without even talking to each other. It got so bad at one point, they even stopped talking to each other for several months. And then George became ill. And George started thinking about his life as he's laying in the hospital. And he asked someone to go summon his friend, John, so he could clear up a few things together. So John showed up at the hospital and George took his hand and he said, John, 
I forgive you. Will you forgive me? Well, John was so deeply moved by his friend's final gesture. And then before he could talk, George said, Yes, but remember, if I don't die, if I get well again, this doesn't count. (laughs) When we place conditions on our willingness to forgive, of course it doesn't count. Limited forgiveness is truly a contradiction in terms. So I suggest that the best preparation you and I can make for all a week, any words that probably don't even have to be said, as we spend from this moment on till next week at Easter, is to be sure that in our prayers we do not have unfinished business in this area of forgiveness in our lives. Persons we need to forgive in our prayers and certainly accept the forgiveness of others. That's how God's people live. That's how we are admonished to live. Only unconditional love can clear away the debris and set everything in the past that would estrange us from not just God, but also our neighbor. There's an old Wild West story about a cattle rancher. This cattle rancher had discovered that one of his cow hands was stealing some of his cattle, caught in the act of rustling. So he told his men to go out and find that guy, and he did. And the thief was dragged before the rancher. And he looked down at that frightened young man, and he said, Hang him. That will teach him a lesson. So one day the old rancher passed away. And he appeared before God in the judgment seat, and as he stood there, he remembered all the mean and horrible things he had done in his life on earth particularly recalling the time that he had the young cattle rustler hanged. And he trembled in his boots, as we know he did, as he stood before our Maker. And God in heaven looked down at him in all his mercy and said, Forgive him. That'll teach him a lesson. The awesome lesson. Forgive bound in God's forgiveness is something we don't have to plead for. It's always there. Something we don't have to continually ask for, but affirm, because it's always there. And God's love is, uh, and mercy is, is out there in laying in His hands, which is brighter and shinier than a silver platter. It always counts, no matter what. And the lesson is always available. It's simple. God says, because I love you, I forgive you. His forgiveness doesn't depend upon whether or not we're going to be good the next day. There's nothing we can do to change God's attitude toward us. Any change that takes place in our our relationship with God obviously takes place within us. Our plea for mercy and our forgiveness, therefore, represents the acknowledgement of God's 100% mercy, 24-7 mercy, in our acceptance of his forgiveness, also 110%. The New Testament, the revelation of the New Testament, is a gracious and understanding and merciful God. And that is meant to change our attitude, not God's. So now we can identify with the crucified Christ of the cross when he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me, Father, and to your hands I commit my spirit. Father, forgive them, 
for they do not know what they are doing. Let us, you and I, walk into Holy Week with these kinds of things of forgiveness etched in our hearts as we prepare together. And we prepare, prepare together to continually learn from Scripture. In getting it, and understanding it, and living it, I think that ought to teach us a lesson. Now may the peace of God, which sometimes eludes our human understanding, keep your hearts and minds with a kind of faith that only Jesus can give, moving us from anxiety to rest. Amen. Please stand. We find ourselves at the top of page 8 in the bulletin. Let us now reaffirm our faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please be seated. At this time, we will gratefully receive your offering.
we journey this week with Christ and celebrate the passionate mystery of His death and resurrection, let us earnestly pray to God for those following the way of the cross and for all people everywhere. For the Holy Universal Church throughout the world, sharing the death and the resurrection of Christ, we pray to you, O God, we pray in repentance and assurance of eternal hope. Lord, have mercy. For Michael, our bishop, for his assistance and all who minister in Christ. Lord, have mercy. For all your wonderful, loved, baptized, forgiven children worshiping here this morning, Lord, have mercy. For all nations, peoples, tribes, clans, and families, Lord, have mercy. For justice, mercy, and peace in all the world, Lord, have mercy. For all who are tempted, oppressed, afflicted, or in need, hear our silent and verbal prayers. Lord, have mercy. For our families, our friends, and companions, and for all those we love, Lord, have mercy. For all the saints whom we remember before you, let us offer ourselves to you in the assurance of our own everlasting life. Lord, have mercy. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, whose Son humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. Receive the prayers we offer this day for all those in need in every place in the mercy of your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit. One God, now and forever. Amen. Let's join hands as we pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. But deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. You will notice before we sing our closing hymn, I want to make sure I remind everyone of a wonderful thanks that we put out to so many folks in the church who came here Friday to clean, to polish, and to get everything ready as we continue our journey toward Easter. Everything is beautiful and everything is shines and we thank those people for doing that hard work. May God give you strength to raise up the ancient ruins. Wisdom to follow in the cross of Christ and the guidance of the Spirit in the desert places of our world. Go in peace, hold fast what is good, honor all people.